640 Toronto presents Think Tank, the breaking stories you care about. Please tell me. Okay, I'll tell you. The backstories you don't know yet. That's my question. Facts and opinions that get you through your day. You never know what you're going to get. And now let's meet the guests. You do not know what you're going to get, but we know we've got great guests this morning. Former mayoral candidate, longtime liberal MPP, former education minister of the province. She gets a great A from us as a panelist. She's Mitzi Hunter. It's great to have you back. Great to be back, Greg. Awesome to have you. And you know our friend and uh, colleague on Think Tank, Steve Pakin, author and broadcaster of Some Renown. Listen, this is what happens when the boss starts writing the intro, Steve. I'm sorry. Some Renown is better than no renown. Let's just leave it I'll at that. Some renowned, yeah. Some, right. Some is better than nothing, so I'm good with that. Good morning, Mitzi. Good morning, Greg. Absolutely. And Steve, you're a big, you're a big baseball fan. We'll get you done before 4:38 p.m. I know these segments uh, sound feel like they're. We'll get you done. You, you got nine <laughs> hours before the first pitch. We'll get you nice and oh, settled. Oh, is something happening later today? I need to know about. <laughs> Minneapolis is lo- actually it's more uh, lovely in terms of mild temperatures this time of year than uh, than we are. It's not as lovely in January, but. I digress. All right, let's kick it in. There's zero concrete, uh, Mitzi and Steve, that emerged from Mayor Chow's meeting with Christian Freeland on Friday. We, we knew very little over the weekend. She said as much on Alex Pearson's show on Monday when Alex asked her, how did it go with the Minister of Finance for our country? Hey, our public transit needs to be more reliable, faster, and uh, we could build a lot more housing, and we we need more library service, Uh police officers, we need safety, and all of that stuff. So they listened, and they said, we'll come to some decision on housing soon. Um, it sounds encouraging uh, on some special issues, like, you know, on housing. Okay, it's it's all over the place. There weren't a lot of definitive answers from Christian Freeland. There wasn't in the summer uh, when she was asked for other elements of money. Mitzi, you, you probably spent a lot of nights thinking of what this job would be, mayor of Toronto, and just especially for the next three years, how much pleading and begging and urging was going to be involved because of the financial trouble we're in. What do you, what do you make of the uphill struggle Mayor Chow has here for our city? Um, you know, I listened to the full interview just to, to hear hear the tone, and and certainly the Mayor Chow was not as keen as when she met with Premier Ford. You know, the, mm-hmm. the meeting with Premier Ford, um, she came back with uh, twenty six million dollars uh, to help immediately with the situation with refugees and uh, a working table. To, to help hammer out a new deal. And, and so this meeting with the federal government was, was really meant to build on that. But, you know, even just in this clip you played, when she started mentioning libraries and police, I knew that she lost the federal government because they have nothing to do with that. No, That's, that's a city in a, in a maybe a provincial uh, oversight responsibility. So what I, I would say is that, you know, Mayor Chow can't get, get discouraged. She's got to keep hammering on the things that the federal government really cares about. And, you know, I heard in the interview you had with her just before that she met with the housing minister twice. That's a good sign. Go with the items that they care about federally and that they have some jurisdiction and oversight and and I think that um, that 
that she'll have better luck. Yeah, and that's an gr- interesting point, Steve, that Mitzi makes. It's a, it's a cogent one as well because Sean Fraser is getting a lot of a lot of credit and a lot of applause for how he's done on the early days after the summer cabinet shuffle on the file for uh, for housing as the as the new housing minister. Remarkable uh, how things have turned since Justin Trudeau said housing is not a federal responsibility. The poll numbers <laughs> sink into the ocean and suddenly the federal government cares about housing again. But you and I have talked about this a million times about Olivia Chow and we're going to talk about Mitzi like she's not in the room right now. So many candidates brought such incredible energy to running for mayor, knowing that this was going to be a difficult job. Does I'm going to ask, does Olivia feel a little to you, to your eyes, a little overwhelmed by the process? Doesn't mean she can't get back on track, but does she feel overwhelmed by how much asking she's having to do here? Well, the key words that Mitzi just said were jurisdiction and oversight. And Greg, you can take a look at the Constitution of the country You can look at the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. You can pour over them with a magnifying glass and a fine-tooth comb. And I'm sorry, you're not going to find anything in there that describes a relationship between the government of Canada and any city or town uh, in this country. And that's one of the issues, that's one of the realities that Olivia Chow has to deal with whenever she meets with federal officials. Cities are creatures of the province. That is the jurisdictional relationship. And yes, she can go on bended knee to Ottawa, and beg for dollars, as she has done, and that's part of the job nowadays. But the reality is there's nothing in legislation that obliges the feds to do anything. Now, having said that, uh, we are a year and a half away or so from the next federal election. The Liberals have almost all the seats in the city of Toronto. I presume they would like to win some of those seats again. If they don't do good by Toronto, if I can use the conversational tone, if they don't do well by Toronto, uh, you can imagine that the public will take note. The mayor of Toronto might let them know that, and uh, there might there might be hell to pay as a result. Mitzi, do you agree on that? This is going to land on federal doorsteps, and I ask that because you were part of a, of of a government that in 2018 you fought like crazy, you worked your tail off to hold on to your seat in 2018 and 2022, but you did see what was happening around you. Should a federal Liberal MP in Toronto be be watching for the same circumstances? Well, for sure, the all of the Toronto MPs are watching this um, dance that is happening right now with the mayor as she's finding finding her legs in terms of the relationship federally. And, um, you know, they've delivered in the past um, the funding for uh, the uh, Scarborough subway extension, uh, $6 billion came because of the work that the, the, the federal MPs did to push for that funding. And, and there are other projects that are still there. The, you know, extension of the across town to Malvern and through U of T campus is, mm. is still a project that, um, that I know that those MPs want to see get funded. And so there are a lot of local projects that they can champion. Housing, as we've already said, is, everybody's business so Mm. so that's one that everyone can rally around but i I just think this is early 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 days and what i do like about what olivia chow is doing that is different than other mayors in the past um is that she's enlisting support from her other mayors across canada because you know what toronto it's not going to be a unique toronto only deal it has to also be opened up to mm. other cities uh, across the country, and there has to be a mechanism for that support. So by 
working with FCM and, you know, Mayor Tory, even back as far as Mayor Miller, Rob, Rob Ford, they didn't work through F- FCM at all. Um, they skipped those conferences. But Olivia Chow yeah. uh, made it a priority when she was in Ottawa to sit down with her other city counterparts. That's Mitzi Hunter speaking. Steve Pakins with us as well. You're listening to Think Tank on 640 Toronto. Is there any element, Steve, about a trimming fat within City Hall, getting rid of less than essential services? A lot of councillors have said this off the record. Some of them said this when they were mayor. I'm going to go in and I'm going to I'm going to find those inefficiencies. So far, we, we talked about there was a story about recycling yesterday in the Toronto Star that said maybe they'll contract that out and save a little bit of money. But do you buy the theory the other levels of government are looking at Toronto and other cities saying you're not you're not looking under the hood of the car enough. And so we just can't write you blank checks unless you're willing to look after your own. Well, it's a fair point. Uh, Rob Ford made the point when he was the mayor of Toronto. We wanted to go line by line through the budget and find things that were nice to have as opposed to had to have. But of course, you know, Greg, you're you're nice to have might be my ha- uh, have mm-hmm. to have. And and conversely as well. I mean, it's it's very difficult to uh, sometimes to determine which is which. Uh, again, w- when I look at what Mitzi just said, the contributions that the federal government has made to Toronto have been project specific. You know, you want money for this particular Scarborough subway or for this particular LRT, we can talk. But if if Olivia Chow is going to Ottawa saying, I need help p- paying for the policing budget, or I need help paying for you know the renovation of our water infrastructure around the city. I suspect she's going to that that kind of request, I suspect, is going to fall on deaf ears. Mm. And it wouldn't surprise me if Christopher Freeland were to say back, you do know, your worship, that your property taxes in the city of Toronto are disproportionately lower than almost anyone else's in in the province of Ontario. And if you want us to come in there and help you out, you know, you have to start by doing something on that. Yeah. Let's move to a couple of provincial political issues, and one of which broke this morning uh, with our own Queen's Park Bureau Chief Colin DeMello. But two things I want to get to, Mitzi, on this front. One, sinking poll numbers for Doug Ford. Obviously, the public uh, has not reacted well to the Greenbelt scandal. They haven't reacted well to a couple other issues. And I don't think cost of living can be just laid at the doorstep of every other government except the province. So this new poll from Palace has the Conservatives at 33 percent. It doesn't mean much, but does it mean anything? Oh, of course it does. (laughs) You know, this has been a terrible summer for the premier. He lost two by-elections. The Greenbelt scandal is of his own making, which, you know, it's just, uh, it's just been a disaster. Steve, how do you how do you view it? We're way out. You've mentioned this before. Way, way out from a provincial election. We're even three months away, two months and a half away from knowing who the next liberal leader is, who should bring renewed energy for that party, as you and I have discussed. Does it mean anything that the conservatives are at 33 percent? Oh, it had better mean something. I mean, in terms of the next election, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, polls are a great indication. Polls are usually a very accurate indication of what people thought yesterday. They are not predictive. They're not going to tell you what people will think in three years from now when uh, Ontarians go back to the polls. But I notice in news conferences when Doug Ford is asked about areas where his government may have tripped up, one of the first things he usually says is, well, I checked a poll this morning and we're still at 40 (laughs) percent, or I checked the poll this morning, we're at 39 percent, that's still a majority government. Well, he can't say that now. He checked the poll this morning, he's at 33 percent, that's a loss. Uh, And if it's not a loss, it's a minority government, and it certainly opens up the possibility of the other two opposition parties combining forces and kicking them out. 
So, you know, the one thing we do know that gets the premier's attention is how he's doing in the public opinion surveys. And it's the one thing as well, Greg, that makes backbenchers incredibly nervous. This will definitely get his attention. Yeah. And it takes us back to 1985 when it was David Peterson and Bob Ray with a coalition government, Steve. And, and though Mitzi's a lot younger than us, you, you and I would love to live like it's 1985 again. Let's be honest. Let's be perfectly <laughs> honest about that. Uh, the, the music, the freedom, all of it. <laughs> That was not a coalition government, just FYI. That was that was the liberal government of Ontario propped up by Bob Ray's New Democrats. But a coalition government, I'm being real super nerdy on you here. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Cabinet seats and there were no cabinet seats for the NDP. Yeah, we've we've heard Pierre use the coalition, the C word before. uh, And it's not a true coalition government. It's a confidence and supply and agreement, don't you know, uh, between the liberals and the NDP here. Sorry, Mitzi, we didn't mean to cut you off there. Fire away on on this issue. No, I really just wanted to echo what you just said, like, you know, waking up and checking the polls is a terrible way to govern <laughs> and to make decisions. I mean, it's just you're not going to get anything done. And I think mm. that that's what is the biggest issue right now with the premier and his government is what are they getting done? They're embroiled in these scandals and, you know, there's news coming out every day. They're losing cabinet ministers. You know, what are they getting done? All right, we got this story, and I want you to hear the clip from Colin DeMello earlier in the show. Bottom line, Global News has been pushing, pushing, pushing uh, to try and get transparency with the Ontario government over how Doug Ford, the premier of the province, uses his personal cell phone. Here's what Colin DeMello reported earlier this hour. What they're saying is that everyone who calls the premier could be calling on a constituency matter. So they're saying that those are not covered under the freedom of information laws when it's a constituency matter. But in doing so, they're making the argument that everyone who calls the premier is a constituent of the premier. Most recently, while they were negotiating the deal with Stellantis, the premier had been calling Christia Freeland and spoke with her late into the night, and she admitted the same. You can't say that the CEO of Walmart or Christia Freeland is a constituent of the premier. Mitzi, is, uh, I'm going to ask this. Is this a tough one? Because uh, MPPs, MPs, mayors will often use their government phone, but they'll, of course, have their own personal cell phone. Is there anything shifty about this in your mind? It's shifty because he can't put it on his role as a constituent. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, if he's giving out his cell phone number, saying people should call him, and he does that each and every time. If you listen to him during his interviews and scrums, he's given out his phone number, and, you know, the opposition is calling for access to those old records because it links back to the issues on the table right now, and the premier should be more than transparent and, you know, provide the information and the access that is needed. Steve, I know when you when you're connecting with politicians, sometimes I'm sure it's the case with you, it has been with me, sometimes you'll get a call from a same politician on one number and then the next week it's another number and then the next week you answer a no caller ID and you don't hear that weird piano music and it's the same politician. So politicians do use different phones. Where's their meat on this story for you? This is exactly the point I wanted to make, which is this is the tip of the iceberg. Yes, I'm sure the premier does this, but guess what everybody Everybody does this. Whenever I have dealings with people in government or even in opposition, sometimes I'm getting emails back from Gmail accounts. And we know why they do that. They do that because these are private accounts that go beyond the scope of the freedom of information. And it allows them to communicate with a level of confidence that that uh, if things go south in their interaction with whoever is on the other end, uh, there's no opportunity to to look back on it because these are beyond the records. 
I'm sure the premier does a good, good reporting by Colin to find out what the premier's doing, but I'm sure every minister in the government is doing it as well. And I bet, Ooh, should I do this here? Should I do this, Greg? I bet if you fed truth here to Mitzi Hunter right now, she would acknowledge that when she was in cabinet, she did it too. Oh, there it, it's on government business. That's the difference. That, you know, if you're doing government business on your cell phone, you have a government issue on and it becomes part of the record. Uh, okay, I accept that, Mitzi, but I bet some of your, look, I, I have no personal recollection of this right now, but I bet some of the people who work for you communicated with me and others on their Gmail accounts as well. This is endemic through government in an attempt to get around freedom of information. I don't mean to pick on you, Mitzi. I'm just saying it's everywhere. And the notion that only the premier is doing it and we ought to pick on him specifically. No, it's a much bigger story than that. Mitzi, thoughts? <laughs> well, my <laughs> the premier, you know, we're picking on him because he has the top job and, you know, he's, he's got He can't hide. He's, he is the premier. Oh, I, I, Steve, I just want to know how many email accounts Ernie Eves would have had at one point in time. And were they all AOL accounts? That's not a comment on him. That's just, that's all we had in 2001 and 2000. It really is. That really is. You'd have to send a telegram to uh, to Bob Ray or David Peterson. That's how that's how communication you know worked. I got a phone call from Ernie Eves once when he was Premier of Ontario. and uh, On a landline, I bet. It not only was it on a landline, but we did have call display back in those ancient times. And then, and you know what the number said? This, I guess, this was the premier's personal phone call, uh, phone line, because the number was zero 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 zero. That was his call display. That, that's how Mitzi called this morning. I have no idea if you. <laughs> All right. I, I... I called via fax. As well. You did. Well, we appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all feeling a little uh, a little uh, techno outdated here. Uh, it's, it's Mitzi Hutter. It's Steve Pakin. By the way, I'll let note uh, programming note Steve Pakin's in for Kelly Cotrera noon to three on 640 Toronto on Thursday this week. Hopefully no audio from this uh, entire conversation happens because we've all revealed some truths about ourselves and our uh, and our technophobic nature. Um, Mitzi, I want to start with you. Former education minister. You care passionately about kids, passionately about teachers. We've got a teacher shortage in Canada, and there's been a couple news stories in the cycle the last couple of days about student violence on teachers. And when I reach out to teachers, it's remarkably concerning. Principals don't feel they have any power. Teachers can't defend themselves. And I know it's not 1996 or 86 anymore, but what's happening now in 2023 isn't any good. Do you have thoughts on this trend? I do, and I believe that this is an ongoing problem that we see in the in the classrooms, and and actually, just look at the level of violence that we've seen in schools. Just you know, at the start of the school year, what is really important in in this issue is that we keep talking about it. We let we as a society let it be known it's unacceptable, and teachers have to feel that they can report violence when it happens, and that they are going to get the support first from the school administration, but also from those who represent them as well. And it's not something that we can continue to hide. 
because it is a big issue and it's growing. Mm. Steve, uh, there's always, I mean, we use the phrase, it's, it comes right out of the playbook, teachable moments. And and I think we try and we try and get adults to be less violent. We try and teach men, women, whomever, not to hit each other, not to react with anger. We should certainly do that for 14 and 15 year olds. But I'd make the case again, if principals and teachers are saying we're powerless here, when someone goes nuts, we just have to leave the classroom. We can't stop the chaos. That's a problematic solution. And people will leave that industry if they don't feel protected. Greg, I think this is one of the most underreported stories uh, in the province over the last decade. And I can tell you, uh, I have a sister-in-law who is a teacher in the Hamilton District School Board. And this is a subject that she and I talk about all the time because she says to me, you cannot believe what goes on in classrooms today. And of course, our impression of classrooms was formed from our own formative Mm -hmm. educations many, many decades ago. And I don't know about you, but my classroom was not a violent place. Things are different now. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Incredibly so. Uh, My sister-in-law is a fairly slight person. If somebody, you know, if if an older student took a run at her, uh, lost his temper, decided that he wanted to take it out on her, she would be virtually powerless to defend herself. And and this will be the case in classrooms all over the province of Ontario. Uh, Something really needs to be. I know I know uh, some of the teacher unions in the past have written reports trying to bring to the attention of the Minister of Education uh, the significance of this problem. Mm. This is something that really needs to be listened to because too many of our classrooms today, I'm not exaggerating here, they are battlegrounds and teachers really feel scared. You nailed it. You nailed it. And I think we all, we've all got the teachers' backs here. We've all got the principals' backs uh, moving forward. Let's have more conversations like this. Mitzi, thank you so much. You showed up. You always do. You're fantastic, Steve. Same, and we'll be listening on Thursday. All right. It's great to talk to you guys. Let's go Jays. There you have it. All right. We're anti-twins. We are, we are our anti-Minnesota twins policy and programming kicks in right here. Thanks for this, guys.